Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of DTV, Digital Transformation Channel. My name is Layla Medeiros, and I am the CMO of InfoStretch, and we have with us here today Derek Weeks. Derek is the VP of and, and DevOps Advocate of Sonatype, and we'd like to talk to you about what DevOps Advocate really entails a little bit. But Certainly. Derek, before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit about Sonatype and uh, you know what, what it is and what you guys offer? Sure, yeah. So first of all, thank you for having me. This is exciting to be here. Um, so Sonatype uh, really sits in the development tools uh, space. We've been working with developers for the last decade that, that Sonatype has existed, and we help developers do two things. One, we help them be much more efficient when they're using open source components in their development practices, and then we also help them uh, stay more secure with those open source components that they're using uh, in development. So we help with automating open source governance policies to make sure they're not using anything that's too risky. That could also include license types, uh, license risks or mm -hmm. architectural risks with components that they're using. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of organizations that we're working with simply don't want to be the next Equifax. So For DTV, we, we like to try to um, shed some light on different interpretations of the term digital transformation. And mm -hmm. so, you know, as a technology leader, um, I think the first part of the question is, do you have an interpretation or a definition of this widely used ambiguous term? And the second part of the question, given you know your focus on open source, is how would you describe the impact um, of open source on digital transformation or you know enterprise organizations' effort to uh, digitally transform? Is it helping them? You know, um, in what capacity uh, is it supporting them? You know, I, I think there, you know, there used to be this idea of technology companies and this technology industry, and they were the ones developing technology to make the future better and you know more innovative. But today, really, every business is a software business in, in some form or fashion. So if you are an airline or a car company or a pharmaceutical company or a fitness company, you've applied software uh, to your innovation to help offer your customers more value uh, or to bring more value to the market than what customers were experiencing, to give them new levels of uh, experience within the products and services that are being offered. Uh, that is happening more and more as mm -hmm. more organizations are developing software. They're also developing it a lot faster uh, than, than they used to be. And part plays into what you were just talking about in regard to open source. Mm -hmm. So today, 80 to 90% of an application is composed of open source components and third-party binaries, libraries, web application frameworks, wow. or, or other things within the applications. And the reason for that is that developers don't want to code from scratch. Right. Everything. Don't want to code everything from scratch. So they could download from the internet in a second what might take days or weeks to produce. What would you say are the benefits or the advantages of open source when it comes to DevOps? There is a concept that we have to change our mindsets about how software is developed first. Mm -hmm. There are dev teams, test teams, uh, operations teams, and those teams have to work to, together to understand what's being built and how quickly could we potentially bring those things to market. 
the first part is working together to try and achieve those goals. Right. The next part that usually comes in is the automation of some of the tasks that we might normally manually uh, have manually done in the past. So if we can bring automation to it, we can actually make those things work a lot faster. To, to me, a lot of people that are newer to DevOps talk about kind of the forward uh, capabilities of automating something to deliver code to market faster. But they miss the part of DevOps, which is not only can we deploy things out fast, but if something fails, we can roll it back fast. Right. You, you touched upon this uh, a little bit earlier, risk. I mean, every time I think about open source and I think about enterprises, I also consider that they're, they're really hesitant because of the risk factors. Um, mm -hmm. So how has that changed in the past several years, in your opinion? Um, and what's sort of the myth versus the realities as far as risk is concerned? When we think about open source components, libraries, binaries, frameworks, um, a lot of the risk came to light about four years ago when the Heartbleed vulnerability was announced and that kind of made headline news in the security community. Right. Oh my gosh, this thing is out in the wild in millions of places because yeah. everyone used the same OpenSSL uh, component. Yeah. Uh, it came more to light last year with the Equifax breach yeah. that people uh, had to go and look for, you know, are we using this, this vulnerable component? Everyone recognizes out there is we're using open source. Right. Everyone recognizes that there may be security vulnerabilities or other risks associated with this. Mm -hmm. But everyone kind of looks at the benefit more, you know, far outweighing the risk. This year, we saw one in eight components that were being open source components being downloaded for use in development that had known security vulnerabilities in them. The average organization doing Java development is consuming 170,000 of these open source components a year, with one in eight having known security vulnerabilities wow. from the start. Yeah. Does it take a certain type of certification or experience to know which are the right ones to use? Well, this is, this is the challenge. The way the software development practices have evolved with, uh, with open source, a lot of these components are simply brought in by development tools uh, that you're using already. So if you're right. using Maven as a build tool as an example, it will pull down the components that you need, plus all the direct and transitive dependencies that come along with it. So it's an automation and, capability. Right, and, right. and an average application may have 100, 200 open source components in it, of mm -hmm. which the developer knows, you know, I needed one, it pulled down 20 mm -hmm. other things that it needed to work, and I don't necessarily explore those individually, nor right. do they come with kind of a food label of sorts to tell me this one is good and this one is bad. So you either have to go to manual, lengthy manual reviews of right. each of those components to understand is it good or bad, or you rely on automation where machines can actually adjudicate, is this safe or is it uh, vulnerable or does it have some risk associated with it? And if you let machines do this, they can actually keep up with the volume of consumption. Uh, to, to give you a sense, one of the things we've tracked over the last 10 years of this report is the consumption of Java open source components. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, there were 10 million developers consuming a billion Java open source components. Right. Last year, that same population consumed 87 billion components. Wow. 
if you're one of the six million JavaScript developers out there, you have uh, you consume 26,000 JavaScript or NPM packages a year. The repository that serves those from the internet, run by uh, an organization called NPM, mm -hmm. uh, they saw six billion downloads a week in August. Six billion downloads. Wow. There's only six million JavaScript developers on the planet. So the amount of open source being used right. is growing phenomenally because mm -hmm. a year and a half ago they were at 4 billion downloads a week. But the, the reason why it's growing so much is, as well is because of automation. The yeah. more automated tooling we're using in development, the easier it is to pull these down into every build. And it's not like you're pulling new ones, you're just pulling the same ones over and over. But part of this is you have to check what is the quality of these parts? We're using parts to manufacture software. Right. Are the parts good or are the parts bad? So let's turn it back to DevOps for a moment. Mm -hmm. um, tell me, you're the organizer of All Day DevOps. Yes. Um, can you tell me a little bit about, or tell us a little bit about what types of roles, titles, organizations are getting involved and uh, what, what's it all about? Yeah, so uh, we started, uh, my colleague and I, um, Mark Miller, uh, founded All Day DevOps uh, just about two years ago. And we had this concept that we were showing up to all of these DevOps conferences and we would meet, say, someone from Fidelity. And we'd talk to them about their DevOps practice and we'd say, well, how many people are in your DevOps practice? And they'd say, oh, you know, 500 or 700, whatever the number was. And how many people are here? Oh, there's two of us, right? So we right. saw these conferences that had this great content but only a small part of organizations could afford to travel to the conference or pay the registration fees or mm -hmm. what have you. So we said, let's put this conference, let's, let's create a DevOps conference for everyone where we can put it online, bring the same quality speakers to, um, uh, to the audience that, that we would attract. We'll make it free so anyone anywhere can do it because it's online. We have five tracks from CICD to DevSecOps to cultural, cultural transformations yeah. to SRE to cloud native infrastructure. So we have a whole host of different topics. We have about 120 speakers this year that will run through those tracks over 24 hours. And so, what are, are there any new interesting developments that you're seeing coming out of, of of this group or this large yeah group? so the um, so one of the these things and this is very much while Mark and I started it it is a community effort um, yeah. to put the conference together so at uh, one point during the the organizing uh, last year mm -hmm. one of our speakers from the first year uh, submit Argerwal who runs uh, he works at um, Broadridge Financial right we were having dinner and he said you know you should have a cultural transformations track hmm. and I said okay, we could, do you want to run that? And he said yes, and we had a cultural transformations track. This year we've added an SRE track because okay. we are hearing conversations around SRE that were coming up more and more. And I add, I don't know anything about SRE really, right. but I asked people that knew. Yeah. And they said, yeah, I think that would be a good fit. And I asked if for their help in running it and organizing that track. Yeah. So we brought that to light. I think yeah. the other thing that's fascinating for a virtual conference is this concept of viewing parties mm -hmm. that people have said, we don't want to just watch from home or watch from our office alone. Mm -hmm. So the communities out mm -hmm. there have organized so far 88 viewing parties in 
different cities around the world where people can gather kind of like a meetup and watch together and have conversations together. And engage. It's definitely a timely um, thing as well because in, in this, you know, um, time of trans transformation, whether it be DevOps transformation, whether it be digital transformation, I think there's, um, I've, I've been hearing uh, a lot more of a need for um, similar roles uh, in the tech world to, to interact and seek, you know, best practices yeah. from their counterparts at different organizations, but it's tough when you're, you know, when you have to travel and go to a conference to do it. So this seems to be a really good way for them to be able to create some communities of like-minded uh, yeah. experts. So one of, one of the things that, again, you know, we, we did this as kind of an off-the-cuff thing that turned into something real. Yeah. Uh, but part of what people said is, if you're going to do an online conference, I'm missing the hallway track. So how do right. I have the conversations with people? So in addition to broadcasting um, on YouTube Live, as we do, yeah. um, allowing everyone access, we have Slack as our Q&A channel. Oh, great. And last year That's we great. had 30,000 conversations on Slack Real during the too. 24 hours yeah. of the conference. So people would hear from peers or practitioners like themselves and say, I need help, or yeah. where did you find that, or yeah. did you open source that thing that yeah. you were talking about? Right. And they would just you know, trade knowledge between each other. And yeah. people found it so helpful that, you know, that's a very, very active yeah. part of the conference is not just, hey, show up and watch. Right. It's the viewing parties or show up and participate. Slack is show up and participate. The last thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is, is um, as, as you may know, InfoStretch, uh, we are um, focused on a variety of different aspects of digital, um, mm -hmm. including DevOps development, and also uh, in a big way testing, which may be considered part of DevOps now. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, since Sonatype, you know, you're a leading provider of DevOps native tools um, that help automate what is now the modern supply chain or software yep. supply chain. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts on the future of, of, of testing, in particular where manual testers fall in, and that's become a bit of a controversial topic that mm -hmm. we've, we've addressed with, with several tech practitioners. Um, in an era where automation and AI have become very big, yeah. uh, particularly automation, and, and they're playing bigger roles in DevOps, does manual testing have a role? Is it a thing of the past? Should it be you know, pushed out, or what value does it bring at this point? You know, there's certainly knowledge out there with people that do testing, that do manual testing. I think there's a lot more that needs done. I think when we look at you know our customers and what they're trying to achieve, we had organizations, one large banking organization that said, you can use open source components in, in development, but we have to go through and verify which ones you're using and whether they're safe or not. And so we're going to go through manual reviews or tests uh, effectively quality tests uh, or benchmarks for these components. And they went through and they, you know, this was, uh, again, four years ago when they were doing this. They went through and they said, through this process, we've approved 800 components for our developers to use, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. But when we went and analyzed what they used in production, they had 13,000 open source components in their production environments. Wow. And that's because their testing process took six and a half to 12 weeks to validate and approve the, these components. 
Now they're actually able to review and approve those in real time because machines do it. Machines right. have the rules that these humans were looking at to say, is this good or bad? Does this meet the criteria that we have for what goes into our, our product? So developers are more compliant for, mm -hmm. for the rules that are there with automation introduced. In fact, in the state of the software supply chain report that, that we're publishing, when we looked at organizations with no DevOps practice versus DevOps practice practices, we found that those using automated security practices were twice as much, uh, were two times more compliant toward using those practices than the non-DevOps teams because our automation is hard to avoid. Right. Right. And it makes it easier and more scalable. Right. I think the, the opportunity for automated testing is huge. Right. And I think the uh, knowledge that's required to know what tests to perform is still needed mm -hmm. in order to have those people help you codify what tests are required. But I think manual testing simply can't scale. If you can do a release every 10 seconds, mm -hmm. you can't manually test every 10 seconds. You right. can't keep up. And the momentum is growing greater and greater in that capacity to have more organizations deploy faster and faster. Manual efforts just aren't going to keep up in those environments. Right. Thank you uh, for your time. This was very insightful, particularly the role uh, that automation is now playing in open source. So um, we'll definitely uh, take that all under advisement. Thank you so much for joining us on DTV. Thank you. And this concludes our uh, latest episode of the Digital Transformation Channel. Thank you for joining us.